Turn with me in your Bible this morning to the book of Acts, chapter 2. We're still ministering on owning a revival culture. Can you put that in first person with me? Right now, ready? Say, I'm owning a revival culture. Again, I'm owning a revival culture. So like Miss Deborah said, you won't, you won't go past what you're willing to confess. You will never have in your life what you're unwilling to confess. Let me say that a little better. Nothing's happening in your life that you're unwilling to open your mouth and give legal standing for with your words. Now, you, of course, you can say things out of your head. We're not talking about just, hey, dribble, dribble. Uh, we're talking about things that you speak out of your heart. It cannot come until you give utterance, give permission, take ownership. Isn't that good? Yeah. Amen. So uh, we're in Acts chapter uh, uh, 2, and we're talking about a re owning a revival culture. Well, we've talked about it, and it's true. The culture is, is real strong in us. So let's read chapter 2. Let's, I'm going to read uh, verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. Well, that was their culture. They, uh, they knew how to be in one place. They, they took it on themselves to be in one accord. And things happened because of that. And all of Acts chapter 2 is amazing. But let's go to verse 41 and just pick up after all this preaching and all this declaring. It says, Then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day there were added unto them about 3,000 souls. And they continued steadfastly. They continued steadfastly. They continued. It's not one and done. It's not what you get done on one day. We're not measured by our highest thing. We're measured by our lowest. What you consistently able to do, that's what we're measured by. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. That was their culture. It was a new culture, but that was their culture. And fear came upon, all came upon every soul, and, they, and many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. So they came together in one accord. They, they increased steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. And the word says that uh, uh, many, uh, and many wonders and signs were done. Do you all see the pattern here? There's, there's, uh, there's an action that produces a reaction. And all they that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. That's because Jerusalem was being filled up with people, pilgrims, that were coming there for Pentecost. And they stayed over because there was a move of God there. They stayed over, but they didn't bring groceries to stay over. And so the church right here started bringing their stuff to be dispersed so they could spend the night at the Holiday Inn. Y'all don't believe everything I say? <laughs> and they continuing daily with one accord in the temple, continuing daily. So here's the pattern of their culture with one accord with the temple and breaking bread from house to house. So that's a part. Did eat their meat with gladness and singleness of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people and the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. So here we see a culture demonstrated in the word. And then as we go into the other chapters, chapter 3 on to 28, 
we see that it was the bedrock or the foundation for things happening in their lives. So there's preparation. There's, there's a foundation. There's things that are put into us that give place to other things. You go, well, I want to go straight to that. People sometimes say, I just want God to heal me or I just want God to pay my bills. Well, he wants to. He wants to heal everybody and he wants to pay everybody's bills. But he also wants for us to be able to keep it and for it not to wreck us. Some people say wrongly, well, God can't give me anything because he knows I'll just go off the deep end and spend it and ruin myself. Well, that doesn't keep him from giving it, but it does keep us from receiving it. We, we can receive th things when we say, I'm yours. As soon as you say, I'm yours, Lord, I'll do what you want me to do with what you give me. Be prepared. Open another bank account or whatever, because it is, that is the key right there. So God's not near as involved in our singular lives or, or, or whatever. He just wants to know what your intentions are. So it, uh, our culture, then we said, is values, goals, and practices that are embedded in your story. We don't all have the same culture, even though we're all drinking of one culture. We're in church this morning. It's Sunday. That's part of our culture in America. It's a cultural thing all over the world. But why Sunday? Well, it used to be you had to meet on a particular day. Old Testament had you always doing things on the same day, but we're not in that culture anymore. Now, we could meet every Sunday morning, and we do, but it's just handy. It's convenient. It's what we're used to. So don't rock the boat. But I'm telling you, we could meet on Tuesdays. And you go, well, the Lord wouldn't like that. Ah, the Lord doesn't care. He's interested in what we do when we meet, not when we meet or where we meet. The Adventists, they meet on Saturday. That's their culture. They, they, they put on that we must meet on Saturday thing because it's Old Testament. And so they, they're kind of not letting go of the Old Testament that uh, that law and that uh, rigor, but we can meet on Saturday. Well, why don't we? Because our culture says, let's all, everybody meet on Sunday. But I'm telling you more and more people are ignoring Sunday as that cultural things. They're mowing grass on Sunday morning. And uh, this morning there wasn't a girl every Sunday morning when we come to church, there's been a girl that's down the street that's mowing the front yard. Well, this morning, that shaggy yard wasn't getting mowed. She may have went to church or something. Hallelujah. But it's just a part of, we're getting more and more secular in our society. Do you all know that? Where it doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. So uh, we said uh, Wednesday that culture for us, for anybody, is your constitution. I mean, that's, what, that's our guiding document in America is our constitution. That's everything has to come and, and line up with the Constitution. And we have the Supreme Court just to make sure that we stay in our culture of the Constitution. They, they, people say, well, this is this will work or that'll work. And the Supreme Court says, well, that's not according to our Constitution. So we throw that out. That's exactly how it works in our culture. Well, we use this. We use the Bible. That is our Constitution. But in that, you notice that there's lots of churches that are using this, but they're, they're not doing what we're doing or we're not doing what they're doing. There's one denomination that uh, they, they say, well, there's no instruments in the New Testament. So we, we don't have instruments in our church. So somebody brings out a little. No, <laughs> quit interrupting over there. <laughs> 
that pipe thing, that, that tone thing, that, uh, no, you, it's a, what is wrong with y'all? Y'all aren't in this denomination? Y'all never been? You know, they'll hit the C note. They'll do that, mm, and everybody will know what the, no, it's a little, it's a little thing that you turn it, and you blow in it, and this is C, and this is A, and this is R, or whatever the notes are. And uh, everybody's like, so everybody gets on the same note. I'll have to bring one. It's not a harmonica. Never mind. Y'all are getting me off. Hallelujah. I mean, what, what, y'all need to know more. If I'm going to preach here, y'all need to know some things. <laughs> But our Constitution for the United States serves a purpose. It keeps us all in line and together. Like it says there in the Word, they were all together in one accord. Well, our Constitution in America keeps us all in one accord. And less and less, and right now we're having a great constitutional crisis because people are bending the rules and, and all that. But for us, it tells us, our culture tells us how we react and how we recover. If it's okay to kill somebody when you don't like what they do, if that's in a culture that you're in, well, then get ready. Get ready to have that happen because that's the culture. But in our culture, you can die by the hand of somebody else. They may haul them off and electrocute them and all that, uh, execute them or, or whatever, but you're dead. You're gone. So there's no preventative things. There's nothing that locks us up and nobody can touch us. But there's consequences that are supposed to bring people to say, I'm not going to do that because they'll electrocute me or they'll, they'll put me in. That would be good, wouldn't it, to, to, to hinder them. So until we get a new culture, we are bound by the culture we're in. Whatever you're in, whatever you're in, you're going to be there. That, it controls you. It puts the borders on your life. It, it impedes you. It wants you to to go and to come based on that culture. Well, we ought, to, we ought to go to church this morning. Well, that's not the culture of a lot of families. It's like, what? You meant mow the grass, didn't you? You meant... <laughs> and so to change yours and my culture to a revival culture, we have to leave a culture. Everybody's in a culture by default. In other words, you say, I don't have a culture. Well, that is your culture then. You're a rebel, you're a vagabond, you're lawless, you're, you're one of those, and your culture is, is alien to my culture. Jesus said, if you'll know the truth, the truth you know will set you free. So we're all aspiring to get our culture to line up with the truth, because he told us that would be the best culture we could have. Well, I don't like all those rules. Well, you're under rules, everybody's under rules. And uh, if you hurt somebody, they're going to come and hurt you. I told you last week, it's time for the church to have a culture that's fun. Whatever, whatever that culture is, we ought to be having fun. We ought to quit being stiff and mad and, and upset and, and disinterested and, uh, you know, just whatever. And, you know, one of, the, one of the people coming in the family to church doesn't want to, but he's being drugged by her. Or whatever. We ought to have a happy culture in church. It doesn't, it, there's a lot of ways to be happy. I'm very happy and I don't go to theme parks and I don't eat cotton candy and I, I don't do roller coasters. So you don't have to do all that to be happy. For some people, that would make them very happy. 
but I'm not going on that roller coaster with you. <laughs> I'm not going up there and going 700 miles an hour down the other side. But that's, it, the church needs to figure out what makes us happy. Because culture is the way we do things. Like I said, this one denomination, they don't have instruments in there. Well, we need help here. The truth is they need help. But, you know, that acapella, they, they get where they can do it. And if you want to hear a, a church that can sing as, better than anybody, you go to that church and they do the little thing, not the violin and not the harmonica like y'all said. They do the little thing. Everybody goes, mmm, I've seen them. You know, he does the pipe thing and they go, mmm, and then everybody cranks up with bringing in the sheaves or whatever. <laughs> I can't believe this. <laughs> How are you? So you've got to ask yourself, what is your spiritual culture? Everybody in here has one, even if they don't think they have one. That's the default. But you have you have a spiritual culture and we all came out of a culture that was spiritual. I wrote down some things uh, that people I've been hearing them even lately. And I go, you're in the wrong culture. Your culture is flawed, but that's their culture. One thing they say is everything happens for a reason. That's a culture, a spiritual culture. Everything happens for a reason. Well, my husband died in a boating accident. Well, everything happens for a reason. That's their culture. And they'll go together with other peoples in that same culture, a church or, or whatever, and they'll all nod their heads. Yes, everything happens for a reason. And then they'll go to the funeral and the minister will say everything. We don't know, but everything happens for a reason. Well, if you're not. If you're not set free from that culture, it controls you. You got lots of unanswered questions. Another culture that I thought of was God can heal if he wants to. Well, that's that's a that's dumb. Of course, God can do anything. That's another culture. God can do anything he wants anytime he wants. But the Bible says he doesn't do anything he wants anytime he wants. The Bible says that if you'll pray or if you'll give, you'll change your future. But you got to get in that culture to believe that. Another thing I wrote down was uh, God, God helps those who help themselves. You all know that one. That's not necessarily, necessarily a spiritual culture, but lots of people. My father-in-law always says that God helps Idiots and little children. That was his culture. It's like, you want to know where God is? He's helping idiots and little children. And the implication was, is I, I needed help. <laughs> and I wasn't that young. <laughs> but that's, that's that. Hallelujah. And another culture, a spiritual culture, is that everybody has a time to go. Well, someone almost died, but they, they recovered. Well, it wasn't their time to go. That's a culture. No one questions it. No one verifies it. No one affirms it. It's just what we believe. It's what we, it's how we act. It's how we explain things that God's doing in people's lives. We explain it that way. And the preachers are complicit. They explain it that way. They'll say God's in control and you can't know the ends of God's mind. But the Bible says we can. The Bible says we can know the mind. We have the mind of Christ. The Bible says that my sheep hear my voice and they follow and a stranger they will not follow. It's, it's like it's in the Bible different than that. Jesus said, uh, whatever you bind on earth is bound in the heavens. Well, I thought God was in control. And I told you the other day, you cannot, 
You cannot do anything about a mass murderer if God's in control. Because, like, what are you doing getting in control? Well, we're going we're gonna to fry that boy. No, you're not. God's in control. It's crazy. But that's what guides this is the culture. And right now our culture in America is changing. Do you all agree with me? It's changing. It's trying to be changed. And we're holding the line. Hallelujah. So uh, you got to be willing to leave a culture to embrace another one. Got to be able, willing to leave a culture to embrace another one. So what is a revival culture? We're in a church culture. We're in a, we are Pentecostal here at River Church. We are spirit-filled. We're, we, we believe in healing. We believe it's God's will to heal everybody of everything every time. That's pretty, that's pretty narrow. Well, you know, sometimes. Nope, every time. It's his will. How come everybody doesn't get healed? Same reason not everybody gets saved. It's God's will. He's not willing that any should perish. But lots of them do. Because they have a say in what they do. I'm moving on here. So we, uh, we looked in the last times we were together about a revival culture being a culture of spiritual family. That God put us each, he set us in the body severally as it has pleased him. So we don't get to choose. I mean, we do choose. We're led. But we're put into a church just like uh, people get married. They find somebody and they go, you're the, you, baby, you're the one. Ah, oh, hubba hubba, you are the one. Let's, let's get married. Let's, let's kiss and hug. Why are y'all looking at me that way? <laughs> Gosh, I'm on camera. I'm going all over the world, and y'all are looking at me like, what is he talking about? Do we need to have a, a birds and bees class in here or something? I'm like, no, there's kids everywhere. We know all that stuff. So we've been looking at spiritual family and that we are put together and that it's not happenstance. Therefore, you can't just leave when you want to. Of course you can. Of course you can. But, but the will of God is for each, each to be set in the family as he willed. We're not dogmatic about that. That's just his. That's just saying this is what God wants. He wants you to be married to the right person. And he wants you to be in the right church. I know this is tough. I know this is stuff that seems extreme and over the top. But we got to call it like it is. He has a, he has a will for my life. And I'm not in a Unitarian church where they don't believe the Bible. That's not God's will. I'm not in the little pipe thing that where they all, I like a keyboard. I like a horn. I like a violin. It helps. Some churches, they, they say that the women can't wear makeup. But Brother Hagin said, everybody knows that every old barn needs paint every once in a while. <laughs> it just helps us. It helps us get past stuff. Amen. So I want to talk this morning real quickly about a culture of living in the goodness of God. Can you say that with me? The goodness of God. Let's say it better. The goodness of God. You go, 
where you go, what kind of culture is that? Well, that is contrary to another culture, a spiritual culture. You go, well, everybody knows that God's good. God's good, God's good all the time. That's not been very long since that was coined, uh, where God was good all the time. Everybody was like, they started singing it and saying it because it was novel. It was contrary to the dogma or the doctrine that had been put out there. God is good all the time. And everybody knows that God's good most of the time. But we give him a pass. We give him an exception. We give him a way out so that if something bad happens, we don't want to say, you did this. Well, that'd be wrong. But we'd have to say, I don't know why you did this, but I don't like it. And that would be common. If God did it, if he's in control, if, if everything happens for a reason, we're ticked. We're mad at God. And you may say it on the outside, I know God's in control and his wisdom will be revealed someday. We'll know why he did that. But that's not true. We're just saying it in our head. But down here, we are red hot mad. Because we liked our, our baby and we liked our father and we liked our sister. And we don't like God taking them for no reason. Nothing, especially when nothing good happens after that. And so it's a lie, it's a lie, it's a lie. It's not true. The culture cannot be explained through because it just explains today, but it, it leaves more questions unanswered. It's like, well, why did God take my wife? Well, we just have to wait until heaven. It's not in the book. It's not in the book that he will explain things in heaven. He explains things now. That's why there's a lot of pages. Let's see in my Bible how many pages there are. <laughs> well, there's a bunch. 1070 something. He explains himself. So let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, I want to root out. I want you to root out religious thinking about God. I want us to be in a culture, a spiritual culture, that we don't tolerate myth traditions, old sayings, that we find out what's in there. That if anybody, listen, here it is. If anybody asks me any question about God, how he operates the kingdom, any question that I could say up front, we can answer that. No, well, God's in control and we just can't know. That's not the kingdom. That's the, that's the government. You know, that's the government. That's, that's your school teacher that just doesn't want it, to. It's not God, though. He'll tell you anything you want to know about anything except your neighbor. He will not tell you the secret things about each other. Aren't you glad? Because that means he's not telling your stuff to somebody. Hallelujah. In Psalm 34, let's turn to Psalm 34. I'm about to get this thing launched. Hallelujah. I didn't know I have to stop and work on that pipe organ thing that, uh, that, oh, I wish I knew what that was. Pitch pipe. Pitch pipe. Where have y'all been? <laughs> Pitch pipe. Well, where were y'all when you were harmonicing and fluting and horn and anyway, pitch pipe. Everybody knows what a pitch pipe is except me. And now I know. Hallelujah. Well, where was I with that? We, know, we need to know, listen, 
If I'm going to be a child of God, got any children of God in here? Any sons and daughters refathered from above? Not just, not just a servant. Old Testament, we were servants. But New Testament, we're not servants. Well, we're just servants. No, we're not. We're sons. We're daughters. Which means, which translates that he's a father. Well, we have to say, what kind of father is he? Because we've got all kinds of fathers being demonstrated in the earth. We got bad ones and got good ones and everything in between. What kind of father is he? We need to know because it'll explain everything about God's in control and God can do anything he wants and it's just up to him. I've been dealing with that with a family or two for the last few weeks and you, you, you can't go anywhere. You can't, you can't explain anything if God's in control. That culture prohibits the truth. It locks it out. And you say, well, God, God isn't in control, and here's what it is. And they go, okay, okay, got that. So I call them the next day, and they say, well, we don't know. God's in control, though. And so I'm like, this culture is embedded. This culture is not information up here. It's down in here. It's the way we think. It's the way we interface. It's the way we expect things. It's just who we are. It's not something we think. It's who we are. And then it's what we think based on who we are, our expectation. And so we got to say, is, are we do, have, do we have wrong culture? Anybody in here got wrong culture? We'd all have to say yes. Because our culture is moving towards perfection I, we're perfect. God's not working on you, but he's working on our doctrine. That's why he's renew, we're renewing our mind. Y'all know we're renewing. That's why you're in church this morning is we're asking God to speak to each one of us and say, you got that wrong, but adjust. Just adjust and it'll be better for you. Well, God wants me poor. No, he doesn't. Well, God wants me sick. Well, God put this on me for a reason. You're wrong. You got the wrong culture and everything then that's based on that part of your culture affects all the rest of it. And you, you, you can't, you go, well, why is bad, everything bad happening to me? Because you got wrong thinking. You got wrong believing. Your expector is wrong. You're expecting God to wham you because you did something bad. We've all done something bad. Let me just tell you all, by the way, when we get to heaven, because I thought this all my young life, that God was going to put a video of all the bad things I did, and everybody was going to go, <gasps> even if they'd already done them. God's not putting you on video. He is not talking about what you did that wasn't right. He burns that up like wood, hay, and stumble. Nobody will ever know what you, that you gave $10,000 for the wrong reason or that you... Nobody will ever know. I'm telling y'all good news right now. What will be known? What will be when we go to the judgment seat? All the good stuff. Gold, silver, precious jewels. Because he thinks we're just right. God thinks you're the righteousness of God in him. God thinks that you're blood-bought. God thinks that the past is in the past and that... It's been put in the sea of his forgetfulness. God, well, God, here I did. I did it again, and I'm back to repent again. He says, what are you talking about? It's all fresh news to him. I did get off the subject there, but I'm back on. Psalm 34, 8, hallelujah. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Oh, taste, read it with me. 
Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He's what? He's good. Uh, I looked it up, and in the T-E, that would be something English version. Find, it says, find out your, for yourself how good the Lord is. Road test God. Road test him and see if he's good. It says in the, mm, the living, oh, put God to the test and see how kind he is. People don't put him to the test. Their culture just says, this happened because God's mad at me. Why is God mad at you? Because I did bad things and I could have done better things and I didn't, I didn't walk away from stuff and, and so I did it and, I, and God's mad at me and therefore he's trying to straighten me up by putting bad things on me. You are wrong. The Lord is good. What is good? Good is, is when you don't pay any attention to bad things. You just say, ah. Catherine Kuhlman, they said that she, they would bring, she was highly criticized because she, she healed people in the name of the Lord. And they'd bring her stuff and say, Brother Doodad said this about you. And, and uh, Brother uh, uh, Rocky Top said this about you. And she said, let's just pretend that that didn't happen. Well, I'd like to be like that. How about you? I'd like to live in the culture where we just paid no attention to what right. people did. Just like, ah. Uh, the Living Bible, excuse me, the Message Bible says, open your mouth and taste. Open your eyes and see how good God is. We're making a case here to change our minds. And it doesn't matter who you are this morning, myself included. We don't always default to God is good. Some, somehow we forget there's a devil. The devil is not good. And nothing he's ever done is intended to be good. Even those that serve him, and he so-called blesses them. You know, uh, uh, people that sell their soul to the devil, so to speak. And they get famous or they get rich, but then he comes. It's always to put you under it. Steal, kill, and destroy are the only things that he understands. And no matter how he lets you go into some goodness... God's goodness. He's always coming back to get you. Uh, the easy version, the easy to read or something version. Y'all understand I could write these things down, but it takes up my notes, so I don't write. Give the Lord a chance to show you how good he is. Can we say amen? amen. We're going to give him a chance. Um, turn to Psalm 136. You're right there, handy. Psalm 136. I love this. I love to talk about how good God is. Yeah. Nothing thrills me more than to talk about how good he is and how righteous he made me. I like to talk about the blood. I like to talk about the veracity of the word, how true it is and unfailing it is. I like to talk about the faithfulness of God, that even when we're faithless, he is faithful I like to talk about heaven because it is exceeding abundantly above what most of us have asked or thought or meditated. But we can know more and we're going to know more. We're going to teach on heaven and you're going to be thrilled. The only problem with teaching on heaven is people start letting go of the earth because it's so wonderful. But we'll, 
we'll balance that out to say you're not done. You got to run your race and finish your course and it'll be there when you get through. Amen. So Psalm 136, uh, verse, uh, verse one. Oh, give thanks unto the Lord for he is good for his mercy endureth forever. His mercy, his goodness endureth forever. Never slacks up, never backs off, never slows down, never reconsiders, never hesitates, never flinches or flitters, never, never, never. The Lord is good and his mercy endures. That means it's got to go through some stuff. That, he has to go, it has to go through us when we disappoint ourselves. And we all do. It's like Paul said, the thing I want to do, gosh, I didn't do it. The thing I said, I'll never do that again. Here it is again. We all disappoint ourselves, but it never moves the Lord. It never moves him. That's why he's God. And that's why he's a good God. For the Lord is good and his mercy endureth, gets past me forever, gets past my failures, my mess ups, my I knew better. And he just says, ah, let's pay no attention to that. Let's pretend that never happened. Amen. Uh, there's nine times in the Old Testament that the Lord is good and his mercy endureth forever. And so let's talk about the Old Testament just for a second, because we're moving out of a, a spiritual culture, a good culture, a good culture. We're in a good culture. We're in a spirit filled culture. We're in a faith culture. We're in a righteousness culture. We're in a healing culture. We're in a prosperity. God wants to pay your bills culture. There's nothing wrong with the culture, but sometimes it gets methodical. It gets rote. It gets routine. And we don't put on the joy of the Lord. We don't put always put on. This is my family. Oh, yeah, I got it going on with him. But what about Lynn? What about Annette? What about Kimberly? What, what is that down here? Well, that translates, revival culture translates in, that into something besides me and the Lord, us four and no more. Because you can't have revival even though you're right, even though you're in a good culture for church, even though things are going your way, you're prospering. It's, it's not revival. Well, I thought revival was when we had a speaker in, Brother Doodly Doo, and, and, uh, and uh, the song leader, and we all met for a week, and whoo-hoo, we shouted, ran around the church. That's not it. You can be in the garage and, you're not, and not make you a car. <clears throat> so God in the Old Testament, how did he deal with people? They weren't born again, were they? They weren't sons. They were servants. So how do you have to deal with servants? Sometimes you have to tell a servant over and over and over and over. Okay, baby, we did it. You did it this way, but I told you to do it this way. We had a housekeeper one time. You know, the stripes on the sheets goes from the, from the pillow to the foot. Y'all nod your head like you know that because I'm counting on that. I mean, we, you know that. It's longer that way they, and everything. She couldn't do it. She put the sheets this way so that the top of the sheet was on this side and the just couldn't do it, just could not do it. Well, that's the way it is in the Old Testament, just could not do it. And so the Lord gave lots of attaboys. Good job. Good job. You did what I said. Yay. We're going to bless that. We're going to help that. We're going to open the door for that. But lots of times they just snarked up and said, I'm not doing it. And they'd go off and do their thing. Well, how did the Lord do it? Well, he, he, he couldn't give them attaboys. Have y'all raised children? Do y'all know what I'm talking about? If you've raised children, you understand that because it's exactly the same. 
And so he, he took his hand off of them. He took his good hand off of them of protection, of, of having somebody not from over here come over and take you captive. They suffered. They suffered in the Old Testament. And there wasn't any way out because everything in the Old Testament is based on if you do this, I will do that. It's based on obedience. Jeremiah says if you be willing and obedient, you'll eat the good of the land. Everything in the Old Testament is based on obedience. There's no grace in the Old Testament. There's mercy, but still you've got to get yourself under the mercy spout. <laughs> you and I don't have to get under the mercy spout. We get his mercy every day in every way. I, there, there's no like, well, I messed up. I went too far. You never did. You never did, and you never will. Well, I don't deserve it. You're wrong. The blood of Jesus. Don't denigrate the blood of Jesus and say it wasn't able or it wasn't good enough or it wasn't powerful enough or that it met a match that it could not handle. You are denigrating the value, the preciousness of the blood of Jesus, and you are wrong. The word is right, and you've never crossed that line. You hated to cross that line. You wished you hadn't crossed that line. You hate the consequences of it and what happened and how it set you back and how it, 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 there was a lot of suffering. But you never messed up with heaven. Jesus solved the sin problem. The sin problem is he who sins shall surely die. Jesus solved that. He met it, went to the cross, and he solved it. So what happens if you sin now? You confess your sin, and he's faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But nothing happens if you don't. You'll take that sin into, uh, into heaven, the judgment seat, and it'll, bl it'll blow up. Wood, hay, and stubble, it burns easy. I don't know if y'all know wood, hay, and stubble. Hay and stubble is just like, whoof. <laughs> Who was that? That was Jonathan. <laughs> whoof. <laughs> wow. I hadn't seen one like that in a while. Whoof. <laughs> uh, not this Jonathan. I'm talking about somebody else. <laughs> <laughs> but that's what's going to happen to your stuff that you mess up and you didn't do right. And you didn't you didn't you didn't own it. You didn't say, Lord, I confess this as sin. I confess it. I agree with you that it is it is death in my life now that it's not going to if I keep lying and if I keep stealing and if I keep whatever people do. It's not going to go well. But you're not miss, you're not unhappy with me. But the wages of sin is death in the earth. If you kill somebody, you're, you're liable to go to, to jail or the electrocution room or something. So wh where am I? What am I doing? Praise God. Well, when man obeyed, it was good. And when man disobeyed, he had to take his hand of protection off of him because they were servants. Now, turn with me to Numbers chapter 16. Lord Jesus, help me. I don't know if he's going to or not. <laughs> Uh, this, is, this is all supposed to come out just right. Numbers, numbers, numbers. Where? Ah, there's some numbers. Okay, chapter 16. Now, in chapter 16, we see an example of this. And, of course, the Bible's full of them. But you go, this wouldn't happen in the New Testament. 
This doesn't happen under the covenant of grace. This does not happen when you've been re-fathered from above. It does not happen. But in the old, there was no fathering. God was Yahweh. God was El Shaddai. God was the, the, the Jehovah. He was that, but he was not fathered. Are y'all there? He was not father. Jesus bridged that from being us being servants to being sons. But you, you, cultures and churches are still trying to make you a servant. Trying to make you like, if you do that, you'll go to hell. It's wrong. Sons go to heaven. We all go to heaven. Well, what if I mess up? What if I got saved when I was young? But now I'm, I'm on a bender. Heaven... Now, your reward side might not be much in heaven. But you'll be in heaven because that's where sons go. Jesus says that where I am, there you may be also. He likes us. You ever, 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 ever had a child that went awry went, or hear of your neighbors that like they're in prison or they're whatever? But why do they still talk about them? Because that's still their son. Well, I got to go on. Numbers chapter 16. Well, I had you turn there. Now I'm going to read it out of the New Living. So that didn't help. But anyway, there you are. If these men die naturally, Moses is telling the, the sons of Korah, Korah and his sons, who have come to him and said, who is this Moses cat? Why, why does he get to boss us? We can be, we're as good as God, as, before God as he is. Well, that's not how God saw it, is it? And so Moses said, if these men die a natural death or if nothing unusual happens, then the Lord has not sent me. But if the Lord does something entirely new and the ground opens its mouth, that must have been something new and swallows them all and all their belongings and they go down alive into the grave. <laughs> Who then you will know that these men have shown contempt for the Lord. He had hardly finished speaking these words. When the ground suddenly split open beneath them, the earth opened its mouth and swallowed all the men along with their households and all their followers. Have a little talk with daddy before he gets on that team. Amen. And who were standing with them and everything they own. So they went down alive into the grave along with all their belongings. The earth closed over them and they all vanished. Now, if you were a, if you were a untrue pastor... This is good preaching. Oh, do you want to get covered and swallowed up by the earth? They do it all the time, all over town. They're doing it all the time. Well, it's in the Bible. Well, this, Jesus is not in this section yet. Jesus came and changed this into the new covenant. And God, you go, well, why doesn't it happen? He put it on Jesus. He put everything on Jesus at the cross. Jesus just didn't bear our sin. The word says he became our sin. And everything you and I deserve, the wages of sin or death, he took it. And he solved the sin problem. Doesn't, you go, well, let's go sin. Ah, you don't, need, you don't need permission to do that. It happens pretty regular anyway. But nobody likes the consequences of sin here on the earth. Boy, that was good. I'd like to preach that again, but I'm going to move on. Hallelujah. So it's illegal to take the Old Testament, the Old Testament, 
the servant thing that they were and put it above the New Testament. It's not right to say we are servants and judgment might come. There is no judgment in the earth. The only judgment there is in the earth right now, because everybody's going, ah, America's done bad things and God's judging America. Nope, it's seed time and harvest. It's like you turn from the Lord, you're not going to have the protections that are built into serving the Lord. All going to heaven, but it's going to be rough on the way. Y'all know that? Of course we do. So uh, Jesus perfectly represented the Father. So we can look to him. He's our, he's, he's our pattern. He healed, every, listen, Jesus healed every single person that came to him and asked for healing. He healed them all. Uh, he never said later. He never told anybody, uh, which is what they say now. Preachers say, yeah. Well, God is going to tell you three things, one of three things when you ask him for something. No, yes, not now. But he, Jesus is our pattern, and he never said that. Je Jesus never used his authority to bring a storm or calamity or earthquakes or lightnings or whatever happens to people, a flood. A he never did. And he never used his power to increase one. And say, God, now if you'll steer this over to 40 degrees latitude, there's some bad folks over there. Yeah, there was Sodom and Gomorrah in the Old Testament. That's because they had no one to take their sin and their evilness and their wickedness. And they had to go. God delivers people. He's not mad at anybody, but he'll deliver you. If you're married to someone that beats on you, that uh, treats your kids wrong, God's not mad at them, but he will deliver her. He will deliver her. He's a deliverer. And he'll deliver you out of anybody else that's not treating you right. So you go, well, we can't get divorced. Sure you can. You will get divorced. You will leave that because God's a delivering God. But he's not mad at anybody. He's just a deliverer. Praise God. Now we're going to turn to Romans. And I'm, I'm way behind, but, but y'all don't care. Romans chapter, I said y'all don't care. I said, y'all don't care. I said, y'all don't care. <laughs> Pitch pipe. <laughs> Woo, they don't care. Hallelujah. So we're in the age of grace right now. And let me just tell you, the culture that we want to embrace, I want it. I hope you do. We want to embrace the culture that God is in a good mood all the time. He's in a good mood. Now, you'll listen to the so-called prophets on the radio and the TV and everything. They'll say, ah, God's coming for America. And he should. Well, let me tell you all about some bad countries. You know, let me tell you about Iraq and, and Morocco and, and all those countries. If God was coming for somebody. When the tornado hit in Tuscaloosa, way back, everybody. I went all over uh, Alberta City and... And they said, yeah, God's mad at Tuscaloosa because we got this, we got drugs, we got this, that, and the other. All of it was true. But what about New Orleans? What about San Francisco? What about New Jersey? What about, what about, what about? Why is he unfair? Why is he picking on Tuscaloosa? Because they didn't get a tornado. They didn't get people, 54 people killed. What was that all about? Well, it wasn't true. I told y'all we have so much authority in the church. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in the heavens. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in the heavens. That the Germans that killed six million Jews oh, wow. 
They prospered after that. Germany prospered. You go, what's up? Doesn't God care? Well, it was the church's job to stop that. And America knew about it. And the American church knew about it. But it was just those nasty Jews over there. We don't care. But God cared. So, nothing happened. Right now in America, you go, what is all this rioting and carrying on? What is all this stuff? It's the church's fault. We're the only ones that can stop it. A new president, a new this, that, and the other, new mayors, they can't stop it. Because people that are not born again are of their father, the devil. And they will do what the father does. Steal, kill, and destroy. And you go, that's crazy. That's what it is. They have a culture of entitlement. And so they are using it against us. But we have power. And if we'll just raise our voice and say, not on my watch. There's nobody killing my president on my watch. You go, I really don't like him. He's our president. I was mad at my mom and dad when I was growing up. But I never did think they ought to leave the earth. <laughs> oh, my. Romans chapter 2 uh, in the Amplified. Can I read it in the Amplified for time's sake? But verse 4. Are you or are you so blind as to trifle with and presume upon and despise and underestimate the wealth of his kindness and forbearance and long-suffering patience? Are you so blind that you, you don't remember this? Are you unmindful or actually ignorant of the fact that God's kindness, look, 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 is intended to lead you to repent, to change your mind and inner man to accept God's will? you got to have that culture. You can't have revival. You cannot be the victim of, uh, of God's wrath, of his impatience, of his... I've had enough of this America. I've had enough of Tuscaloosa. I've had enough of, of the people of River Church. Whatever, whatever you, you stick in there. We are not guilty. We did what they said we did, but we are not who they say we are. Put that in. We did what they said we did, but we are not who they say we are. Yeah, I did mess up. And yeah, I hate it. And it hurts some other people. But I am not a thief. I am not a liar. I am not a murderer. I am not. I am not. I am the righteousness of God in him. Because God only looks at me through the lens of the blood of Jesus. He cannot see me as guilty. Because that would be double jeopardy. He put all that I did wrong on Jesus. And he crucified or he got him to take our sin into the bowels of the earth and paid the price. He was separated from the Father spiritually. And he was not connected to divinity in that time. But the Lord is good. And his mercy raised him up. Why? Because he was sinless. He was guiltless. He was shameless of his own. And so he took our sins. He bore them away and took them to judgment. And then he was raised from the dead. Well, when he was raised from the dead, we were raised from the dead. Well, I don't feel like it. Well, it never says in the Bible that you ought to go on your feelings or on your rationale. Well, I just think, well, you're an idiot. You're a dummy. Quit thinking. God's already thought and told you how to think. 
And so, are you, he said, are you willing to forget that it is the goodness of God that changes your mind? Well, everybody in the church, I mean, not everybody, of course, but the culture is, is that when bad things happen, it was God teaching you a lesson. Listen to me. I'm telling you what you can't have revival and think that God was responsible for punishment, for judgment. It's the goodness of God. You go, what's that all about? He just keeps on coming at us when we're bad with good. Well, God, we won't catch it if you just keep being good. He says you will. I'm a product of it. I deserved a whole bunch of trouble, but his goodness just lifted me up and put me over. Over and over and over. He's been so good to me. Y'all, he has been so good to me. Well, have I been so good to him? Not that much. Did I, did I always walk the line? No, not always. I walked the line a bunch. Have you? Sure. And we endeavor to always. But sometimes you just mess up. This flesh, the curse that's in the earth, the devil. <laughs> what we want to do, we just, it just didn't happen. So where's God in this? It's the goodness of God that leads me to come to him and say, God, I am sorry. I repent of it. He said, restored. The truth is that if we got into this, 1 John 1, 9, that when it says he's, uh, he's faithful and just to cleanse you from all unrighteousness, it sounds like that we become unrighteous when we sin. But the unrighteousness he's talking about, and you've got to read it in the book of, of 1 John, is the unrighteousness, the guilt, or the condemnation that we harbor for having sinned. I mean, you walk around saying, oh, God, I wish I hadn't done that. I wish I hadn't done that. Oh, I hate that. I'll, oh, God, if I could take it back. And we just, that's unrighteousness. Righteousness, it says, I repent. I plead the blood. Story over. You go, it can't, that's sacrilegious. It sounds like it, but it's, it's so simple that you can't hardly get it if you think. And so it's not an unrighteousness down here that he forgives us, us, cleanses you from all unrighteousness. It's a cleansing in your soul that when you repent of it, you have a confidence that he hears you. First John five, he hears you. And if he hears us, then he grants us the petitions which we have. In other words, he hears us and says, yes, but it cleanses me like, OK, I got that off of me. The burden of what I did is now not on me because I gave it to God. You go, what if we don't confess it? Well, you're not unrighteous. You're still going to heaven. But you're going to be nasty in your soul. You're going to be condemned. Well, I couldn't ask God for anything because, you know, I'm just so bad. Well, I couldn't pray for anything. And if something bad happens, that's God remembering what bad thing I did. And he's, he's come back for his vengeance. I hear people say all the time, says, well, if you don't tithe, God will get it. God will get your tithe if you don't give it. Y'all never heard that? That's a culture. If you don't tithe, God will get his. That is just stupid to the 48th power. You can't get that stupid on your own. You have to have help, supernatural help. Amen. So uh, in the Passion Version, you knew I was going to get to that. Uh, here, ah, that Barry, he's on. Do the riches of his extraordinary kindness. Let's say that together. Extraordinary kindness. Ah, better than that. 
extraordinary kindness. Do the riches of his extraordinary kindness make you take him for granted and despise him? Do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant kindness, say that with me, extravagant kindness, extravagant is when you are way over the top. It's like we got the job done way back then, but this is just piled on. And, and uh, in the Passion Version, if you look down in the notes, it'll say that the word kindness there in the Aramaic is translated sweetness. So let's read that. Do you realize that all the wealth of his extravagant sweetness is meant to melt your heart and lead you into repentance? You want revival at River Church? You want revival in your own heart? You got to get the goodness of God slotted in your heart. Well, what have we sinned? Well, we will. It's inevitable. Well, who can walk on water every day? You can't. You will sin. You will miss the mark. And the higher that we go with him, the deeper we walk with him, the more things that we used to get by with that was not sin to us, we had no conviction, all of a sudden he'll say, pick that up. Let's not do that anymore. You go, Lord, last year... It was no big deal. He said, yeah, but you, you've grown since then. And so the, it gets narrower. It gets narrower. I, it's not that he cares, but he can't take you where he wants you to go if you got that kind of thinking and that mess in your life, in your heart. If you think God did something, he can't take you very far. He can't put you over people in the sense of leading them and serving them and ministering to them because you got wrong stuff. So we got to change. You got to work on this. Uh, we went from slaves to be to freedom. In an instant, we went from being slaves. We went from followers to temples. Y'all say amen. We don't reflect light. We shine. Rivers flow out of us. I've, we used to sing, I've got a river of life flowing out of me. It's based on, it's on Luke where it says, uh, uh, rivers of living water shall flow out of you. Uh, God is what I'd say is gooder than anyone thinks. He's gooder. And you may think, I know how good he is. He's better than that. Right. You can't get around it with your head. You'll do something, you'll see someone do that, and you'll immediately go and say, wonder what they did. And you'd be wrong. There's a r real devil. Don't forget there's a real devil. And he hates your guts. Uh, God is absolute good. And there is no good in the devil. In Galatians 5.22, let me just read it to you because you know this verse. Because I want to take you one little place that you may not be willing to think of, th uh, receive. But in the fruit of the Spirit, in Galatians chapter 5, it says, The fruit of the Spirit, listen to this, is love. Joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness. So that's the fruit of the Spirit. That's what us being born again, that's what comes out of us. Where Holy Spirit comes in, what does it look like? It looks like the fruit of the Spirit coming out. Goodness, goodness. So let me have some liberty here. And go back to Romans chapter 2, verse 4, and say, 
not sacrilegious, not taking away from him, not denigrating what he's done, but saying that who we are in him, that it's the goodness of Michael that leads men to change. My goodness comes from him, but him, if, 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 if his goodness in me is, comes out in the fruit of the Spirit, then my goodness, if I would act on it, if I would release it, if I would not hold it up and say, oh, I'm just a worm, oh, God can't use me, but I say, no, I, then, then men would be, they would hear and listen and look and say, I'm going to change. And all of us have been with strong Christians that, that convicted us in our heart, not condemned us. And we said, I need to tighten up. We've all been around people who go, I like that. I, I, I didn't really realize how far off the line I'd come in. And I, I want to be like that. Well, it's the goodness of God in them. In the goodness of God in you. You ever been with anybody that prayed and just could get there? I mean, just boom, they were there. And you're going, I slobbered around for 30 minutes and never got into the outward court. Yeah. So, uh, so we're going to de demonstrate his goodness. So in a revival culture, one, number one is we are family. Not just acquaintances, not just good friends, not social interactors, not I sit over here, you sit over there, and we both listen to pastor, and, and we both experience God, and we love to sing. No, we're family. I could go home with you. You got clean sheets on that back bedroom? <laughs> What's in the refrigerator? Because me and my seven kids are sure hungry, but we're coming today. Sure, come on in, family. See, it's a culture. So to get into that culture, you've got to get out of a, another culture like us four no more. Amen. Doesn't mean I'm ever coming over with my seven kids, which I'll have to pick them up in the neighborhood. I don't, you know, but it means it's like I never flinched. I never flinched when they said we might come over, we might move in, we might, we need a hundred dollars. Could I, could I get a hundred dollars? I need to pay my electric bill. And we're like, here, here's a thousand. God gave it to me last week. I didn't know what it was for, but here's a thousand. Go and pay your gas bill and go. And I'm not advocating any particulars. I'm not advocating details and specifics. I'm just saying that's what goodness looks like because that's what goodness did for us. When we couldn't pay our electric bill, the Lord showed up. We go, that wasn't, that wasn't the Lord. That was Billy Bob. Nah, it was the Lord. And he, he came a strange way that day. <laughs> ah, but it was God. So say this with me. God is good all the time. Even when I'm not good all the time. The wrath and judgment of God was imputed to Jesus. So his goodness is imparted to me to live like him and for him. God's goodness is constantly leading me to change my mind and change my life. Yay. Yay. Yay, Lord Jesus. It's only good. That's ah, a bunch of rules. We don't want a bunch of rules. It's not rules at all. Just acknowledge what's been in you and that's what will flow out. We stop. We stop the goodness of God coming out. 
we stop because we get stingy, we get worried, we get anxious, we get to thinking, I'm not giving them $100 because I may need that $100, not remembering that there's plenty more where that came from. Uh, yay. Yay. Ah, that was a good word. That was a good word. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Pitch pipe. I learned what pitch pipe is today. <laughs> I was going to have to go find one and bring it in here and do. Yeah, I don't want one. I can tell you. I've, not, I've never been on pitch about anything. I, the only time I'm on pitch, and I don't even know, is that when they're singing real loud and they, they hit a note and hold it, I can, I can find myself hitting that note, I think. You know, it's just me. But that's the only time I ever know that I'm. <sighs> the gifts of the Spirit flow at River Church. The gifts of the Holy Ghost are prolific. They're abundant. They meet every need. They're common. Here, come go to church with me. The Holy Ghost will fix you. Amen. You've got to have that culture. It's like, oh, we have a move of God every service. It's not always demonstrated. Sometimes it's just like this morning, the word, where you go home with an aha and go, that changed my life. When I taught on generosity, it changed my life. I knew I was supposed to teach on it, so I dug it out, and it's changed my life. And this thing about family that I just got off of has changed my life again. I'm, I'm changed. I didn't even know what I taught y'all until I looked it up myself. So this morning, Lord, we're asking you to change our life by changing our culture. We change our expector. We raise it up. And we just take authority over condemnation and guilt and shame that's been dogging us and ruling us and running us in the ground and making us miss all your goodness. We just say no more to that. The devil, you are defeated. Jesus defeated you. I don't have to fight you. I just have to acknowledge that you are no, you are no, not a, you're not an instrument in my life. I live above. I live above. Help me. I live above. So, Lord, we thank you right now for healing this people. We got lumps and bumps and things, and the doctor said it's maybe worse than we thought or whatever. Who will believe his report? We're going to believe. Whose, whose report will we believe? We will re believe the report of the Lord. So, Lord, we take authority over symptoms. Put your hand wherever it wherever you're just close, just get close to whatever's, especially if it's chronic. It doesn't have to be just right because we're just acknowledging him. And, and we're going to speak to it all corporately in Jesus' name. We take authority over this pain, this malady, this thing that's out of whack, this bone that's not right, this nerve that's activated and driving me up the wall, this the stomach and intestine thing in Jesus name. We take authority over headaches, migraines. We say your day is over. It is no more. We're standing fast in the liberty whereby Jesus made us free. And we walk above. We walk above in Jesus name. We thank you for strengthening us by your mind. 
I speak strength. It, it seems like there's a lot of weakness in this room. So I speak strength into your members, your bones, your muscles, into your emotions. Strengthen your emotions. You don't fall apart anymore when somebody gives you a report of some kind. You don't fall apart. You're like, God's got that. In Jesus' name, we speak to our teeth. We tell you, teeth, quit hurting and come into alignment. We speak to our, our sinus cavities, all of those. Infection be gone. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Lord, we, we command hair to grow where it needs to be and tell it to quit where it doesn't need to be. In Jesus' name, hallelujah. Hallelujah. What else is out there? Just, just holler out and we'll, we'll, we'll knock it back. Joints. Oh, I love to talk about joints. In Jesus' name, I call, I call joints into order in this church. I call cartilage to be replaced, a creative miracle for cartilage to come and be restored, ligaments and, and uh, tendons, connecting tissue. In Jesus' name, we tell you to be restored by the power of the Holy Ghost and in the name of Jesus. We do not put up with joint pain anymore. Neck, back, in Jesus' name. Knees and hips, ankles, feet, our elbows and our wrists, we call you in Jesus' name, be restored. Be made whole now in Jesus' name. Are y'all with me on this? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Mm. I, I, I speak to insomnia. Sleeplessness. It's, uh, it's got to go. I speak to the condition, the, the chemical imbalance. And I also speak to anxiety. Quit thinking about troubles when you go to bed. Turn them off and meditate on the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. In Jesus' name, we speak to you to sleep all night and be rested when you get up. Hallelujah. What else? Anything else before we go? Eyes. Eyes. Udavedo Sita Faganda Bushiato Se Kina Menende Zita Bahai. We speak to eyes in this room and in the broadcast. We speak to your eyes. All these things on broadcast, we speak to them. And we tell uh, the, the pressure of the eye to come to normal. High pressure caused from various diseases and conditions. We stop you now in the eyes in Jesus' name. We speak to all the parts, the iris and, the, and the, all the parts in Jesus' name. We tell you to come to be attached, retinas to be reattached in Jesus' name. Muscles that move the eye, we, we speak synchrony with you, left and right. You move together. Eyelids, in Jesus' name, you will close properly. What else did I miss? Praise God. Okay. Okay. Now, we're in revival here at River Church. I'm just telling you we're in revival, and we ain't never going back. We ain't never going back. It doesn't matter what anybody says. Me and Deborah Ann are going to have revival, and I invite you to come join us. We are having a move of God in Tuscaloosa, in Alabama, in this United States. 
The Southeast is on fire because Jesus is Lord and revival is breaking out everywhere. And we at River Church are going to be leaders in it, whatever that means. Whatever that, we don't even know what that means. Don't even know really what revival looks like all the time, the culture. But we're pressing toward the mark of the high calling of the Lord Jesus. We're pressing. We've got to press. There's going to be some things that you're going to go, I don't want to ask them out. I don't want to send them a card. Repent and do it anyway. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. I bless you. I bless you. You are blessed and I bless because God has blessed you and I release it in you. That increase is in your life. Promotion is everywhere and debts have have lost their grip in your life. In Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Amen.